You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to the Worshipology podcast. This is a podcast for worship teams, worship leaders, and worshipers of Jesus. And, uh, you know, usually I'm on the phone talking to somebody across the country or in another country. Uh, But today, the other country has come here uh, to Destination Church. I'm in my office hanging out with our prayer pastor, Mark Donald. Say what's up, man. (laughs) Hey, Pastor Kedis. What's up, man? Thank you for having me today. And I got to say, probably the coolest accent so far on the the show this season. You know, tell us where you're from. Originally from uh, Africa, born in Zimbabwe, but raised in Botswana. That's the southern part of Africa. So uh, we were colonized by the British. So I speak with an Afro-British accent. (laughs) Afro-British. I don't even think I've heard that term before. That's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, Pastor Mark Donald, he's been on our staff here for the last few months, and uh, his story is incredible. We're going to get into some of that. Uh, he is our prayer pastor here at Destination Church. Let me ask you, what, what is a prayer pastor? I mean, obviously, pastors, the prayer team and focuses on praying for the church, but what is it that you do kind of on a day-to-day basis here? It's a, it's actually quite a, a diverse and variety of things, Pastor Kedis. Um I think the need that uh, Pastor... Uh, Brian saw within what God was doing in destination was that there needed to be an intense prayer cover for the ministry and Mm. for the vision that God had given him. And so my coming in really was to be able to provide that kind of experience, uh, having been in ministry for uh, quite a while and having had that call for uh, intercession. Uh, So it's, for me, what I see is uh, what in the New Testament we see a model. Paul, in all his letters, um, used to always have one phrase that was a common denominator. He would say, pray for me. Wow. Pray for me. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the Apostle Paul. Pray that wisdom will be granted for me. Pray that God will give me grace. Pray that. And this request for prayer is what I see little of within maybe some ministries and ministers now. Wow. Um, and so that's why you find there would be um, reasons why there is so much uh, attack on ministers because they don't have prayer cover. Wow. They don't have somebody to literally be able to be there, uh, given that portfolio to be able to say, I'm going to devote my time and I'm going to devote my energy and also my life really to pray for a church or pray for people or even pray for lead for a lead pastor. That's incredible. And I think, you know, oftentimes as a worship pastor and I talk to worship leaders all the time, you know, and, you know, we're always, uh, I think, pouring out from the stage. But to have somebody that constantly covers us in prayer uh, and praying with your team. And, you know, even in, in my book, Worshipology, we have a, a, a title of a chapter that's all about prayer. I think it's so important. And yes. and prayer and worship go together like peanut butter and jelly, man. Yes. I mean, and so I think that's what's so exciting for today's podcast is to really dive into some of that. Where do you see prayer and worship coming together? We're going to get into all that. But, man, just for our listeners, tell a little bit of your story. Like, how did you get involved in ministry? How did you end up? From Zimbabwe to just south of Richmond, Virginia, man. <laughs> it, it started uh, when I was, I think it was in 1985, uh, when I gave my heart to Christ. Wow. I was young, and uh, I 
for that first time, I really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, for the next two years, between 1985 and 1987, it was me continuously, wherever opportunity arose, me giving my life to Christ again and again and again. Wow. If there was an altar call, I would go up front and say, I get, this is you just want to make sure you're covered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, I, from that onset, I could sense uh, a call of God, and uh, I used to go to the mountains by myself wow. just to study the Word and also to pray. I did not know how, but I just felt this separation uh, to just go, and, and I love my own company. And it was weird at first because I thought, I'm, that's not normal. Younger people are doing younger people's things. And here I am in a bush somewhere with a Bible and just uh, quietly reading and praying and reading and praying. And But then I could sense that it was more of destiny calling than anything else. Wow. And um, 1996, uh, I, I uh, answered the call to work, go in full time and went to Bible school, graduated, and then... Uh, wanted to go to a certain city to plant a church but the lord said i didn't tell you to go there yet and so he made me serve another pastor for seven years wow and um nine 2002 that's when i started uh, f uh, planted my first church um in a in a mining town nothing had ever grown in there and uh, God sent me there and, and this is in africa this is in africa yes yeah. in botswana and so the work grew, and then we had people driving two hours, three hours to come attend our services, taking buses to come and attend our services. Wow. Until finally we saw the need to start planting more churches within that local area. So we started planting churches around. We planted uh, three for the first three years, like each ch one church plant per year. And then we had people coming from other countries to come and attend, and we started planting churches there as well. And then it just began to grow exponentially. And um, we had people coming from Asia uh, who had maybe been placed their business or school and things like that. And then there was a need now to go plant churches outside. And I remember my first church plant in India. Um, we did five churches there. Wow. It was quite an experience because um, like the different cultural context altogether. Um, but... Yeah, God just began to bless our work and um, more because of the emphasis on the need to pray for a revival in any atmosphere and in any place. What does that look like to pray for revival? Because I know that word in the U.S. could mean something totally different than maybe what it means in Africa and India. Like when you say pray for revival, and I think, you know, a lot of our listeners would resonate with that phrase. I mean, uh, especially, you know, in these last few years, we've been hearing like God is doing a new work. He's, he's doing a revival. What does that mean to you? And, and how would you say, man, this is how we pray for revival? The context of revival, Pastor Kerr, is, is something that, for America, I think that America needs a revival. Mm. If I can even extend it to say it needs an awakening. Wow. Uh, mostly because um, there were so many moves of God that are recorded in history that happened here in the United States. Um, let's just even start at the founding of the nation itself. Yeah. When the pilgrims came on the Mayflower in 16... Uh, 20 in, 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 in Providence, in Rhode Island, 
they had a mandate to use that colony as a place where they were going to preach the gospel. Wow. And so looking at that context, you see, and also the, the kind of things that began to happen, the awakenings that began to happen uh, throughout history and how even just the nation itself was founded on godly principles. Mm. But now when you look at so many generations later, that has been lost. And, and because of that, is the contamination of the purity of God's word has now caused even things like prayer, you know, being taken out of school, which of course I don't want to sound pol political, but I would say that uh, the spiritual DNA of the United States has been compromised so much that America definitely needs a revival. That word revival mm. means reviving of something that used to be. In other yeah. words, bringing it back to life again. So there's so many flames that were there and we need to flame the embers wow. that are that are burning out. Mm. And so I feel that the opportunity that the United States has is that when you look at the churches that are there, the diversity of churches, all those are actually a sign of a fire that used to burn. Wow. And so what we need to do is kind of like revisit that place and not having a mentality of a church or not looking at it like a church, but looking at it like an altar. And then, like mm. just like in biblical times, reviving the fire in that altar. Wow. Whatever denomination it is, whether Roman Catholic, Methodist, whatever it is, when you begin to see the potential that that place has yeah. to be able to once again retain biblical values and principles that actually was the push behind it being there in the first place. You will see a fire like you've never seen before because when people become passionate for the kingdom, passionate for God, passionate for sharing their faith, it all begins with, first of all, a revelation of who Christ is in their lives. Wow. And that is what has been, I believe, the uh, the contamination of, uh, quote-unquote, the gospel in the United States. Christ has been taken out of what we call religion. Mm. And it's now become a form, as Paul says, without the power. Wow. Form of godliness, but denying its power. Wow. And so we need to revive that. We need to flame the embers and... This cannot happen, first of all, if we don't have a strong prayer foundation. Wow. What would you say is the biggest difference that you've noticed in the American church as it uh, pertains to our hunger and, and our prayer life, really? Um, you know, when you look at the, the, the church in Africa or the church in India as you, you've mm. planted over there, um, what's that biggest difference? What are, we, what are we missing, I guess, is what my question is. The contrast is quite uh, big, Pastor Keris. Uh, what I see is that, you know, there's a phrase, as is in the spiritual, so it is in the natural. Hmm. Um, when you see abundance, quote-unquote, in the natural, um, sometimes you would sense that maybe there is an abundance of uh, the same in the spiritual. Yeah. But also in Revelation, the context that uh, Christ speaks over a certain church, he says, you, ha you say you, ha you are rich, you say you have abundance, you say you everything is taken care of, but he says, but you are poor. Mm. 
Wow. And for us, I think what it means is what in Africa, there is visibly, naturally uh, poverty. You see it. Right, right. But it doesn't mean poverty as we understand it. Mm. Because in Africa, there is a dependency on God. Wow. That begins to create this world of the spirit. What that means is that we are so dependent on God and so dependent on uh, his word and just basically the word of the spirit so much that whatever we need, we have to go back to him. Wow. And so it creates a, a dependency that makes us uh, understand that without him, like what Paul says, we really can't do anything. Mm. And then contrasting that with what happens in America, the, the abundance is everywhere physically. Wow. Because you see big things. You see abundance of food, abundance of this and that. But then that kind of abundance in a way begins to create a space or a vacuum in the spirit because why do I need to pray when I have all this? Why do I need to pray when I'm when I've had breakfast? Wow. Why do I need to pray when I've got clothes on my back, when I've got uh, two cars in my garage, when I've got a bedroom, an extra bedroom, and even another bedroom? Why do I need to pray if seemingly I have everything? Wow. Whereas in Africa, the approach is I don't have anything, so I have to go to the Father for provision. Wow. And so you would find that uh, because of this, um, there, there is then um, a difference in approach uh, and sometimes it can be extremes on both, where because of lack, you only see God in one dimension or in one aspect, and you only see him only as a provider. And so you then simply define a stronger relationship with God based on the provisions that you have. So success then in Africa sometimes will be defined as if I have everything I need, then it means that God really favors me and wow. then God is with me. Yeah. And so it then creates this false notion that um, abundance then creates uh, some kind of special relationship with God. Yeah. And then you come here, you find that uh, when people uh, have the abundance, then the, the need to be dependent on God for other things which abundance cannot provide for, which is peace in your heart, yeah. which is joy, yeah. which is uh, a fulfilled life, uh, which is you know purpose and assignment and wow. making a difference in other people's lives. All those fall short because uh, for you, the world is defined by how much I have, you know, the capitalistic approach to say if i have much then it simply means that my life is good but wow. then you're not making any difference in someone else's it's interesting because there's a uh, a very famous interview with the actor jim carrey and he says you know i wish everyone could have money and success and fame and all that they desire to realize that once you get it all it, it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill. mean anything. It doesn't yes. mean anything. It, you know, it's like, and I think that's so interesting is, you know, I remember listening to somebody who was kind of preaching on the story of Paul and Silas in prison, Acts 16, 25. And, you know, he was saying, you know, here is Paul who is spiritually free, but physically in chains. Then you have mm. the jailer 
who's physically free, free. but spiritually mm. in chains. That's good. Um, I think I said that right, you know. So so Paul was spiritually free, but he was in chains. And there was this beautiful exchange that mm. happened when Paul was like, you know, the chains broke through mm. their worship. And then he, you know, basically the jailer falls at his knees. What do I have to do to be saved? And, and, and at that night, you know, he and his whole household were saved. And, and it was this beautiful story that like, you know, the chains that break on the other side of prayer and worship. And, you know, I think when you're talking about the lack of dependency that we have on God, it's, it's very obvious. You mm-hmm. know, I think uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who used to be a worship leader back in the day. Uh, he's no longer walking with the Lord. And I just remember him coming over to the house one time and we, we must've stayed up till like 2 AM talking and catching wow. up. And, and I just asked him, you know, Hey, what is it that, um, kind of has you, why, why have you walked away from the Lord basically? And uh, he just said, well, I think, you know, we've gotten to a point where we realize we don't need God. He literally said that phrase, you know. And so I think it's that very humanistic uh, mindset of like, you know, we're advancing so fast that we've got all of our problems taken care of. But what you find, and you can see this watching any documentary that's out there about somebody famous, and then they lost it all and just realized like, man... Money can't buy you peace. Yes. Money can't buy you joy. Just like you said, all those are what? Fruits of the spirit. Yes. So outside of the spirit, how can you find any of that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I would just ask you, like, in the worship culture, how do you live in the tension of, like, God's blessed us, but I want to stay fully dependent on mm. him because I we know this, that, man, peace doesn't come outside of God. Mm. That, you know, fulfillment, love, joy. Uh, all of that patience, man, I need patience more every single day, especially as my kids get older. Um, but how do you live in the tension of the blessing and the need for dependence? I think it's just understanding that in the kingdom, abundance comes with and for a purpose. Wow. Um, whatever God gives you or entrusts you with, um, he doesn't necessarily do it for you. He uses it so that you can be a channel to be able to show his glory to someone else. Yeah. And so on one hand, he creates or you know, allows a situation of lack, and then on the other, he allows a situation of abundance so that there could be a great exchange, some kind of cross-pollination where you find in Africa we have this need where we know potentially how much what we can do with what you guys have here. Yeah. And then same thing as well with what we have in Africa. I mean, if I if I was to talk about miracles in Africa where people get healed of things that you never imagine cancers falling off in a service where people are delivered manif- demonic manifestation um stuff that would kind of like uh make people gasp here <laughs> yeah to us it's normal wow. in africa it's, it's normal for me to have people you know dying of hiv and then we just lay hands on them and and they, they that virus disappears wow and it's not even a story yeah it's just what we do normally so as i would say um in answer to your question that when you understand that you're just a channel, whatever you have, whatever you've been entrusted with, you're mm. always willing to pass it on. And so what I also see now is God kind of opening up ways and channels and opportunities for 
different kinds of uh, giftings to cross-pollinate. Yeah. You know, like there's so many people like me here in the United States who have come to be a channel to give the gift that God has given us. Mm. And and that is to be able to reach out in, in into the realm of the spirit and begin to show people that there is another world besides the physical one that you see. Yeah. Uh, that there is a world of the spirit that is as real as the world of the natural. Wow. You talk of uh, things like witchcraft, and and when I mention witchcraft here, many people, yeah, we've heard about it. We have seen some movie concerning witchcraft, <laughs> right. but the thing is so real because in Africa we live with it. Wow! Uh, and 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 sometimes when you understand it in scripture, and you understand even how uh, God has, uh, in a way, allowed us to walk into a season where the, the there is a contending. Uh, in the world of the spirit and where the spiritual is controlling the natural much more deeper now where even here in the United States it's not hidden anymore what darkness does it's revealed wow. and then many people don't understand or don't know how to deal with it stuff that we call uh, you know sometimes mental issues and I do acknowledge that there are some cases of mental issues that need to be dealt with but for the most of most part of it when I when I look and observe, I see a lot of ignorance in that people don't see when it's a demonic influence. Wow. Or it's just simply a mental illness. Wow. And because they don't know the difference, they kind of like have a tailor-made you know, response to everything. Yeah. Medication. Yeah. And the more they get medicated, then the more, the more sinister. They stay in that same place. With all the medication, nothing happens. Nothing changes. All that it does is either calm people down and make them cope. But when you understand the world of the spirit, we're not meant to cope. We're meant to thrive. We're meant to be purposeful. We're meant to give off the best of ourselves and our vision and our, of our lives here on earth. So Christ came, John 10, 10. The thief cometh but to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life yeah. and that they might have it more abundantly. Wow. And so it's just in understanding that God has gifted us differently so we can, as a body of Christ, be able to move together to fulfill his mandate on this earth. Yeah. What Africa has, what the rest of the world has in exchange of, of that, America also gives the same. So we, we feed off each other's energy and we begin to, to, because only God can explain how he has gifted us and why he has gifted us. Mm. But in every place, whatever levels of abundance you have, God has given that to you so that it can become a tool to make someone's life better. Wow. When it comes to worship, I'm speaking specifically about musical worship. And I know we had you talk to our uh, worship team during a team night a few months back, and I just heard I was out of town. I'm so bummed I missed it, but I heard story after story about how just incredible that was. But you use this phrase that Judah goes first, praise goes ahead. I want you to unpack that a little bit, um, A, because I missed that team night. Uh, but I think for our listeners, the idea that praise leads the way, um, you know, the value of worship and what it does in our life, mm. especially when it comes to our spirit. Mm. Talk to me a little bit about that. 
the, the phrase that I would like to use again is something called the protocol of approach. God is spirit, the Bible says, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Yeah. Uh, God being spirit, you can't approach him anyhow. There wow. has to be some protocol of approach, just as in the natural, when you go to see a king, when you go to see a president or someone of that importance, you can't just simply, you know, just walk in. In, 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 in essence, when we, when we speak of the veil has been torn and now we can uh, enter in, it's the entering in that people don't understand. Wow. And so when, we, when you find, um, when you look at scriptures uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, the Bible says, and, and in Judah, God is known. In Judah, God is in known. In Judah, God is known. In praise, God is known. Yeah. Because Judah means praise. In worship, God is known. There are some elements of God that we will never know until we get into depths of worship that are beyond our natural understanding. And that's why for me, there is no way you can enter into the fullness of who God is without understanding worship. Wow. And so it, it, it's, it's such that it's so deep, so much that anybody, I come from a culture where in our denomination back in the day, people came into spaces where they would say, yeah, we're just going to have one song of praise or one song of worship, and then we're going to go into the word. Wow. And that was our life. And it was into the word. And the, the mindset then that I, I began to develop was, oh, the word is much more important than the worship. Yeah. And so I created this thing that, okay, let's just get it over with the worship so that we can it's get It's just a warm up, yeah. <laughs> and so one time the spirit of the Lord woke me up and he says, we, you need to worship the Father, you need to worship God. And then I said, yeah, I will, but I need to get into the Word. And mm. he says, no, you have to worship. And, and it was such a burden for weeks on end after that. All I just did was just simply to worship and pour out my heart before God. And then I felt a spirit of repentance come into me because with the obedience that I was making, God began to reveal to me. He says, I am going to reveal myself to you in worship. Wow. There are some aspects of me that you will never know until you get into a space of worship. Mm. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about just singing. I'm not talking about just, uh, uh, I'm talking about a depth of, of giving yourself over your faculties, your mind, your heart, your, your, every part of you as a living sacrifice. That's why Romans says, I beseech you therefore, breathing by the message of God to present your bodies as living, living sacrifice, sacrifices, yeah. holy and acceptable uh, unto God, for this is your reasonable act of worship. Wow. When yeah. you give yourself, you give your heart, you give everything that you have as a faculty of worship, that's where it begins. And so... For me, worship, Pastor Keris, is the entrance. It is the introduction. It is, if you are going to understand who God is, you have got to understand, first of all, that he wants worship. He thrives out of worship. Uh, and, 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 and in all essence, salvation is God 
trying to invite us back to why we were created in the first place. Um, mm. Just the scripture in, in Exodus, when God meets Moses, he says, I, I have heard the cry of my people and now I've come down um, and I'm going to set them free. And then, and then he says, and then he says, go to Pharaoh and tell, tell him to set my, let my people go so yeah. that they may worship me. So they may worship me. Yeah. God is going to set people who have been in slavery for 400 years just because he wants them to worship. Wow. Just so that he wants them to. And so you find that even in our salvation experience, God did it first off so that we can be able to come to be a place of worshipers. Who is it that he is seeking? There are only two types of people that he seeks in the scriptures. According to John chapter 3, for the Father seeketh such as this that are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. Yep. And the other one is in Ezekiel uh, 22, that he says, for I looked for a man among them who stand in the gap. So there are only two. He was worshippers and he wants intercessors. Wow. Every other gift uh, <laughs> he and provides. Worship. He's the oh. one who gives. He gives this kind of gift. He gives, but he says, but these two I'm looking for because if I can have people that can, first of all, know how to worship because God works with atmospheres. So a worship atmosphere manifests his presence. Mm so powerfully that he's able to express his godship without limits. And that's why you find that the enemy, uh, Satan, Lucifer, because before, he came all, before he became all these things, he was the one that was in that atmosphere. Wow. And that caused pride to come out of him because he's, he's like, I can, make, I can make God manifest. Mm. And I can make God. And so that kind of feeling to be able to really bring the presence of God in such a tangible way, in a way sometimes can be able to uh, draw us into, into, into great depth. So if you meet these two, worship and intercession, worship and prayer, the warrior and the worship, and then you mix the word in it, then you have a complete, complete worship experience. Wow. And you can't do one without the other. Yeah. And for me, uh, before any prayer can even happen, do you have to, first of all, go through the gates of worship. Because Judah goes first. That means that uh, praise is the protocol that God has accepted that if you can know who I am and if you can understand what I can do and if you can understand that I'm a God who deserves to be worshipped, then already through that revelation, you can now have the rest of me. Wow. Because you understand my heart. Yeah. And that all I do is just want you to worship me and, and kind of tell me who I am to you. Man. And what I can do. I mean, that unpacks the whole, you know, Psalm 100, verse 4, I'll enter his courts with thanksgiving. Yes. In my heart, I'll enter his gates with praise. You're, you're coming into God's very courts, his presence, uh, his atmosphere, if you will, with thanksgiving and praise. And, you know, I think one of the most powerful things that I'm still processing, as you just said, it was that salvation set my people free so that they may worship me. We are created to worship and, and we will worship something. Everyone is worshiping something or someone. Uh, and I think that's where 
the longing for satisfaction mm. is just falling short yes. in America is because we're worshiping the wrong thing. Yes. And even in the church culture of America, you know, you see this celebrity culture and it's, mm. it's, yes. it's crumbling at its foundation right now. And I think, you know, I saw this post on Facebook yesterday and it was like, um, if Paul saw the American church today, we'd be mm. getting a letter, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. and, and I think it's, it's funny, but it's also humbling. The thing that I just keep wrestling with in our, in our, especially in the worship culture and you just see, uh, you know, the celebrity mindset, uh, creeping in to different corners, um, but I think when you have praise only as a method of knowing God mm, more, yes. there's no room for celebrity. Yes, like, He's the celebrity. Yes. <laughs> Jesus is the celebrity. <laughs> yes. And uh, I'm just like really challenged today. If we understand worship, really, it's not about us. Yeah. It's about Him. Come and on. so once you know that it's about Him, why do you need to feel the need to take His glory? Oh man! Because what you are saying, in essence, is although I know it's about you, but I want a piece of it as well. I, I want people to wow. see me. I want people to be able to hear me. And then you now deprive yourself of being a vessel and of being a channel of, of being a, a, a conduit of God touching other people through you. Because the minute you make it about yourself, already you are now diverting attention. And then God says, "No man can steal my glory." Wow. And so that's why you find so many people get disqualified. Um, but what, <laughs> is, so good. what is the Holy Spirit saying and doing in our church today, in our world today, in the kingdom, uh, especially as it pertains to worship? I feel that um, God is unveiling for us the truth behind what worship really is meant to be. Yeah. And he is is releasing and i know that you know this is something that of course uh, we've talked about in private and i uh, shared this partly with you to say and you are part of that group of people group of men and women that god is raising who are hearing different sounds mm. and uh, it is that sound that is going to be able to usher us into the next wave or the next revival or the next awaken if you may the the power of a worshiper is such that you are able to hear something before it manifests in the physical. When you are when you are when you are writing a song, when you are singing a song, when you are playing a song, it's it's because you have heard something wow. in the spirit yeah. and you're manifesting it in the natural. And so what happens is even with the wording that you use, I normally follow the patterns of God through songs that get released at a particular season. Wow. Like what you have just released now um, uh, here in our church, um, there is, every time I listen to, to, to that worship, every time I listen to, uh, to the songs that are coming in, I hear God saying something. It hasn't manifested physically yet. Yeah. But because the power to hear, I, I believe, is, is more than the power to see the the power of of hearing is more than the power of seeing wow bats don't have eyes um as they say blind as a bat 
<laughs> but if you watch a bat flying at night in darkness, not seeing anything, wow. but because of the sound waves that it hears, it's yeah. able to fly better than any other bat that you can see at a fast speed velocity. Because when you are able to hear in the spirit, you are able to, you are more powerful than somebody who sees in the natural. Wow. And so that's why for me, worshipers are so critical because they literally lead us into the next move of God. Mm. They literally are the handprints of God giving messages from a time that has not yet. And that's why you find there's some music that you listen to and you know, people in, in your music world, they will say, you know, this song was, um, was uh, is it is it above its time or uh, before trying, its time? Yeah. Before its yeah, time. Yeah. This song was before its time. Yeah. In the sense that it transcends time so much that it was a song written in seventy five, but when somebody sings it in twenty twenty three, it's like man. Yep. These lyrics are so deep. What happened? They had then something that was coming into the future and then they released it into that present and even now we are affected by it. Wow. And so that's what for me worship is. You have the responsibility now to be able to prophesy into what is coming now. And we, we are not able to see it. We are not able to experience it. But you are able to hear the sounds of that which is coming. And as you hear, and then you're putting it down in a word, you're putting it down in a note. And as you are playing it, you are literally opening up pathways and waves into the spirit and into dimensions of God's glory. You are, you are releasing to us a part of God that we have not seen and that we are yet to experience just through your song. Wow. So as you are singing and as you are worshiping and as you are allowing God to use you as a vessel, you know that at that moment, you are a prophet. Mm. You are a prophet because you are speaking of what is in the spiritual and releasing it into the natural. Wow. That's why I can be sick in a hospital and I listen to a note, I listen to a song, and it, it, it causes my physical body to agree with what I'm hearing. And as a result, things change in the natural because of something that I'm hearing in the spiritual. Because you can't see a song. Wow. You can't touch it. You, you, you can only hear it. Mm. And the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing. That's and so hearing good, by the man. word. I mean, that's, that's why there's a whole major in colleges now with music therapy. Yes. Because they're understanding that there's more than meets the ear, I'll say. Yes. You know? <laughs> and what's interesting to me is as you're sharing that, uh, this is not an attack on current songwriting. Mm. It's just an observation. It just oh. sounds like everything that comes out on the radio sounds the same. Mm. I, mean, I mean, it feels like we're on, we're on like a record player just stuck on Sorry. repeat. <laughs> You know, and, and I think my prayer for worship writers and anyone that's a songwriter that's listening mm. is that you would just get into that secret place with the Father and yes. ask for a download of heaven. Ask yes. for, you know, because I feel like that's the thing. Like God wants to give songs mm. just like he wants to give other gifts, you know. Yes. Every good gift comes from the Father, you know. And and, and James tells us that, you know, he he, he doesn't change like shifting shadows and yes. i think songs are gifts especially to those who are songwriters and creatives and artists and what better song to write than a gift from the father mm. and i think 
you know, when everything starts to sound the same, when the lyrics, I can predict the next verse yes. before I've even heard it. Yes. Um, I think we're missing that, you know, six times in the book of Psalms, David writes, sing a new song. Mm. I think God yes. wants to give his church yes. a new song. Mm. And, and I think it, that that song's not going to come until we get into that secret place. That's so good. Um, mm. Because, you know, we say this all the time. You can't take somebody on a Sunday where you haven't been Monday to Saturday. Monday, yes. And, and so <laughs> I, this is just a, a challenge, I think, for worshipers and worship leaders and teams to to get into that secret place mm. and, and just be with the Father mm. and, and to be in his presence and see what comes out of that. Yes. You know, and, yes. you know, if we just kind of hold it open handed I love what you said about celebrity culture too. Mm. Like the moment that we start to make this about ourselves yes. and so many songs are, are written from that mindset mm. and it's like, well, what if we put all the emphasis on him? Correct. Mm. The That's moment so that we begin yeah. to just focus our full attention, our full affection on him mm. is when he begins to reveal himself yes. to us. Yes. Man, unpack that a little bit. Yes. I mean, if, if you, if you see, if you see, uh, the song of Miriam in the, the book song of Exodus. Of Miriam, yeah. uh, it's after now the Egyptians have been destroyed and they have now crossed over and they are now in that place where they have seen the Lord's victory. And Miriam bursts out in a song. Mm. And she says, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. Mm. The Lord, my strength and my song. Yep. He has now become my victory. I mean, for me, when you, when you see the beauty of that song, not only does it describe what he has done, wow. but it also describes who he has become in Miriam's life. And so I believe every song that we write has to have these two components to it. First of all, the description of who he is. And then at the same time, making it in real time. This is what he has done. I just saw the horse and the rider being thrown into the sea. Yeah. And now he has become my song. He has become my victory. And so what that means is that I can be in any place and face any diversity and face any trial and face any test. And I can be able to say the same as well, that the same one that threw the horse and the rider into the sea, the same one that be able to, that, that delivered the, the, the giant into the hands of David, the same one that, that opened up the earth and swallowed the enemies of God, he has become my, in other words, he's not, he's not, he's not detached from my experience personally. Mm. So I think any song that would change uh, any atmosphere, it will be based on, first of all, who he really is. Wow. And then second of all, it will be based on what he has done in real time. And so when you begin to look at all these aspects, you will see that it has got nothing to do with us. Wow. Everything has to do with him <laughs> and what he does. And the only part that we have in it is our response. So true worship really is us responding to what he has done. Wow. And then telling him how we feel about what he has done. Man. 
You know, it's interesting about that verse. So Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and, and I will exalt, exalt him. him. That's actually the verse that we gave my son, Moses. Oh, That's his life verse. Wow. And so as you were saying that, I was wow. just like, man, what's crazy is that um, the strength and song piece, mm. that God is my strength and my song. Yes. And when he's your song, uh, there can be no deflection back to your own glory. Yes. I mean, he has to get it all. Mm. Uh, I think we could probably have three more hours yeah. of conversation. Uh, there's some conversations that you scratch the surface. There's others that you go down a couple of feet. I think we've uh, dug to the depths uh, and found some true gold this month, here yes. today, man. Thank you for your time. And uh, man, it's just a blessing to get to know you even more as we've uh, hung out this last hour. Thank you, Pastor Kerit. It was just my joy and my pleasure to be here with you and to spend this most precious time. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.